Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. And uh, here we are at level two with this lockdown, but um, we're still not locked down, are we, as we look at the kingdom of God. So I trust that uh, you've enjoyed the morning so far. Uh, what's going to happen today is my daughter, Brittany, is going to help share this sermon with me today. So we're going to be playing tag with a little bit of the scriptures that refer to the, the kingdom of God. And to do this um, means that we're going to be looking at what it is that the kingdom of God consists of in its fullness as it develops around the world and in people's lives. So Jesus had a lot to say about this. And so as we begin, Brittany's going to open up with some scripture and start to tell us about some of the essential qualities of the kingdom of God. Well, good morning, everyone. As Craig mentioned, we're going to be diving into a parable um, that's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And this gospel is called the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's read together. We've got Matthew 18 verses 21 through to 27. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this parable begins with Peter, who was one of Jesus's disciples, asking a question about how many times he should forgive someone who wrongs him. And Peter suggests as many as seven times. And when Peter suggests forgiving someone seven times, he believes he's been really generous. Why? Well, because within the Jewish Jewish teaching of the day, to forgive someone three times was considered to have a really forgiving spirit. Because if someone continued to keep sinning in this way, by the fourth time it was recognised that these repeat offenders might not actually have been repenting at all. So Peter thought that by offering to forgive someone seven times, he was super generous. I mean, it's more than double the current quota. But then Jesus shocks them all by saying 77 times, which wasn't a figure that was to be counted, but was saying that the number doesn't matter. Don't keep count. Then to explain this further, Jesus emphasizes this generosity by the next story of the master and his servant. This servant owed 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest monetary unit of the time, and 10,000 was the highest figure they used in counting. So scholars believe that this servant owed millions of dollars. It was an amount that he was never going to be able to repay, hence why him and his family would be sold. But what's even more bizarre about this story is that the servant would have known that he could never have repaid this debt, but asked for pity anyway, and is saying, like, have patience with me and I will repay you. And he fell to his knees, begging his master for grace and mercy. And then we read that the master of the servant actually had mercy on this man and forgave him his entire debt and released him, letting him go free. And I can only imagine Peter hearing this and being totally bewildered and amazed and even shocked that such a debt, an incredibly huge amount of money that the servant um, owed, 
could all be forgiven by his master, the debt that otherwise would never have been able to be cleared. And what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is defined by this form of generosity. You see, in this story, we get a glimpse into the future, a future time not too far away when Jesus would provide debt forgiveness for all of our sins on the cross. A debt that we cannot begin to repay. We can work and work and ultimately keep trying, but we cannot repay it. Our debt is too great because we fall short. We aren't perfect. And because every single day of our lives, we build up the debt of sin. We live in rebellion against God. And even on our best days, there are areas of rebellion that show up in our lives and things that we ought to do but choose not to do and things that we don't even realize we shouldn't do but do anyway. We all have these things and every single day we are building up this debt. And at some point we become aware of this debt and most of the time we become aware of it because God begins to work in our lives. You see, we live in a culture that doesn't understand the holiness of God, but when God begins to intervene in someone's life and in our life, we become aware of these things that we do wrong and we begin to feel the weight of our actions. And this has been my experience, and I'm sure many of you, where all of a sudden you get this angst within you as God reveals these things to you and you realise this debt that keeps growing, this debt that just is impossible to repay. But because of God's mercy, his grace, his compassion through the actions that Jesus took on the cross, taking on our sin, he offered us mercy. He wiped our debt and said, we are free. Well, thanks, Brittany. That's a really good illustration, isn't it, from Jesus about what it is to be merciful. Uh, Clearly, that, uh, that servant didn't have the means to repay his master. And on that basis, receiving the forgiveness of that sin is a real demonstration to us of what the kingdom of God is all about. But uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take another uh, little one-line illustration, essentially, of what Jesus described the kingdom of God to be uh, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And in here, we get to see again this power of influence of what it means to be uh, working with and having your lives changed by the Spirit of God. So let me read to you from Matthew Chapter 13, verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So a very, very simple parable, a one-liner, in fact, talking about something that is very, very common in the day. Uh, Normally, yeast is referred to within the Jewish kingdom as being something that symbolizes sin, something small that gets in and makes a difference. But in this case, Jesus reverses the tradition of using yeast as a metaphor for sin. And he describes it as something that makes change within the flour. Of course, every baker, every person who cooks will know that yeast serves this purpose of causing the dough to rise. And so what Jesus is saying is that something really, really small, i.e. the kingdom of God and the understanding of Christ's life within you, is going to have a huge impact. It's going to separate you out from the rest of the flour that doesn't have a yeast base to it. And so here we're going to see in a few moments how it is that this looks like as we prepare some bread to show you just the the impact that yeast can have. The yeast itself has this amazing uh, quality about it where it it brings life and it brings texture and and a specific taste to the bread. And so therefore, this yeast is a positive thing. And as we saw from the parable that Brittany was 
using before about the master being kind. That was yeast being put into that scenario, that kindness, that forgiveness. And that yeast was going to have a powerful impact upon the life of this servant. Well, at least we thought it should have, but Brittany's got part two of the story and she's going to explain that to you now. So Jesus had begun by telling Peter the story about the man who owed lots and lots of money that he was probably never going to be able to pay back in, and how his master forgave his debt and released him. But the story doesn't end there, so let's carry on reading and see what happens once the servant had been released. Matthew 18, verses 28 through to 35. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this man who'd been forgiven a debt, the equivalent of many millions of dollars, went out on his release to find a man who owed him by the same calculations, just a pittance, a pittance of money. So he found this man, grabbed him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. I loaned you this money. Why haven't you paid me back? I want this money now. Give it to me. And this fellow servant falls down and says, have patience with me and I will pay you back. The slave, this man who had just been forgiven millions of dollars of debt, wanted nothing to do with that kind of response and threw him in jail. And at time, at that time, jail, debtor's jail, was considered worse than being sold into slavery. It was a more severe punishment as they were often tortured and literally bound in chains and stocks and guards would often withhold food to extort money from their relatives. It was a horrible place to end up. And so as always, word got back to the master who had forgiven the servant's debt and, and he was furious with what he had heard. And so he summoned him and said to him, you wicked, wicked man, why did you not offer this fellow servant the same mercy that I showed you? And this master would have been horrified just thinking, I just forgave this man millions of dollars and look at how you treat this guy. A man who owes you a few thousand dollars, a man whom you'd once probably trusted, a man whom you've probably known for some time. What did it mean to you when I forgave you all your debts? What did this say to you? Can't you remember how powerless you felt, how useless you felt, how vulnerable and hopeless you felt? And then how did it feel when I forgave you your debts? Wasn't that an amazing experience? One that you'll never forget because you could never repay me. But all that means seems to mean nothing to you. Didn't my forgiveness of your debts touch your heart? Obviously not, because if it had touched your heart, touched your soul, you would have run towards him and forgiven his debt rather than try to strangle him. 
but you are heartless and unkind and my grace and kindness to you means nothing at all to you. It hasn't changed you one bit. So I'm going to send you back to jail so you can realize just how much you were forgiven. And maybe when you get a touch of what debtor's jail is all about, you won't want to send people there who owe you money. But more importantly, you'll understand that forgiveness received is a debt that you owe to everyone else for that you will ever meet. It's a powerful story. And I was thinking about this parable a lot this weekend. I was thinking about the times in my life that I've had to forgive someone. And as a generation, um, we've often been called the justice generations. We have a deep sense of injustice and we get a fire in our belly when we see things that are unjust, that are not fair or equal, and we feel like we've been wronged. You know, we, we seek justice. And we all know that rage we feel inside when we've been lining up for something for a long time and many of us have experienced those supermarket queues or maybe even to pay for our coffee and someone jumps the queue or when someone scoots around the side at the ski lift. You know, we all love those people who've been saving a spot in line for their friend. I know that running through my head isn't anything gracious or merciful. I think about those who have the gift of mercy, and quite honestly, it's not a gift I have. It is something that I've had to continuously work at with the big and the small moments in my life. Because mercy is something that is often offered, even when the person doesn't deserve it even when they can't repay you. Mercy isn't seeking justice. It is undeserved grace. But maybe it's not money that someone owes you, but an apology. You know, we all get hurt in this broken world that we live in. Uh, For example, um, many of you will know the story, um, my story about losing my husband to leukemia after four years of marriage. And when Carl was told he was terminal with leukemia, there were some people uh, that were very close to both Carl and I who blamed me for his illness and ultimately for his death, saying that I must have been the reason for him to have been diagnosed with disease, this disease and, and that I gave him leukemia. Even though there was no logic or medical reasoning for this, the doctors spoke with them and explained that even if I was a horrible wife, I couldn't have given him leukemia. But this was what they had personally determined. And as you can imagine, this plagued my mind and my heart as I grieved the death of my husband. Their words and beliefs beliefs about me lived just rent-free in my head for just far too long. And every time I heard that they'd said something about me to others or friends or even people I didn't know, I wanted to just open my mouth and let them know exactly what the situation was and what was really going on because I was hurt. I was really, really hurt. And through, thankfully, a lot of prayer and talking with some good counsel and pastors and the like, I realized that I had to offer them grace and mercy and ultimately forgive them. Forgive them for what they had said and believed about me. I had to reconcile and pray through the fact that I would never understand their actions and that they will probably never understand how much they hurt me. But you see, ultimately, I knew and know that the grace that God has given me, that undeserved mercy for the sin in my life, is the greater debt, a debt that I cannot repay in full. 
unlike this servant, I can offer this grace and mercy to others around me, even when the justice side of me doesn't want to. You know, I hear people say, I could never forgive that person or isn't some sin greater than others? And yeah, some actions cause greater hurt than others. But on a scale, when we compare ourselves to Christ and the actions that he took on that cross, those differences in our sin are so small in comparison to him. You see, our feelings and hurts are real, but they don't have to rule us. They don't have to rule our actions, our our actions to love and offer mercy to those who don't deserve it. The difference between the master who was owed millions and the servant who was owed a few thousand was in their response. In their response. And they were, you see, they were both owed debts and both had a choice to offer that grace and mercy. Everyone is in need of receiving forgiveness and giving it as well. Relationships with others requires grace and forgiveness. Well, you can see from that parable it had a really sad ending, didn't it? That's a deeply disappointing result for the the master who'd forgiven his servant so much and that the master's servant couldn't go on and offer that same grace and forgiveness to somebody who owed him money. That's just an absolute tragedy. And it's a real sign and a symbol to us, isn't it, of what the kingdom looks like when it goes bad. One of the things about um, this the symbol of yeast, and we looked at that a moment ago when we talked about the, the bread that has yeast in it, is that uh, Jesus refers to this yeast in a number of different ways. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, we find here that Jesus refers to the yeast in a negative term when he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. So let me read to you from Matthew 16, verse 6. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Amen. So Jesus says to be on guard concerning the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what was it about this yeast that was causing a real negative outcome in respect to these religious leaders? What is it that they had that Jesus didn't want us to have with regards to this yeast? Well, the thing about this yeast is that it was um, something that had got into them as leaders that was causing a negative outcome. And when we reflect upon the story of the the parable of the the master and the the ungrateful servant that Brittany has just explained so well, um, what we find here is that the servant, having experienced this grace, couldn't pass that grace on and therefore was using his freedom to exploit others. And what was happening in Jesus' day is that the religious leaders of the day the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were exploiting people in the name of God. And in doing so, that Jesus referred to that as a yeast that had got into them and was now limiting or debilitating, if you like, the grace of God in amongst that religious community. So Jesus says, these guys are, are um, infected with this yeast that was causing God to look bad. And ultimately, the kingdom of God is never going to grow, never going to expand when you've got religious leaders who are misrepresenting God. And so what we find here is that Jesus is saying to his own disciples, look out for this religious legalism that has this appearance of looking good, of being ideal. But in a real world, it doesn't work because the bar is set so high, people judge each other based upon the lack of performance to meet these standards, and there's no grace. 
There's no forgiveness. There's no uh, realization of the grace of God because we are restored to try again and to be in a living relationship with God. Religion is reduced to a bunch of hard-hearted rules. That is the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so when the disciples were discussing amongst themselves what it is that they uh, thought Jesus was talking about, um, Jesus said, look out for this yeast. And uh, the disciples finally concluded that they were being referred to, the Pharisees, as an example of what not to be. Matthew 16 verse 12 says, Then they, that's the disciples, understood that he, Jesus, was not telling them to guard against yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Amen. So when it came to describing the kingdom of God and trying to outlive the kingdom of God, Jesus was really, really solid about referring to the Sadducees and the Pharisees as the people that we should not be aspiring to be. This kingdom of God was something far bigger than rules and regulations. And, uh, and it's, all, it's not about um, just keeping favor with God by being good. It's about offering grace and mercy and love to other people. And I think the final word, what Jesus had to say about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees is found in this verse in Matthew chapter 23. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Amen. So those were really hard-hitting words of Jesus, weren't they? Can you imagine that? You know, like a missionary Pharisee traveling halfway around the world to win somebody to the God of Israel. And once they have done that, Jesus says, you turn them into twice the son of hell that you are. I mean, that's hardly a compliment at all, is it? It's saying that these guys were literally committed to making people sons of hell, people who were so far removed from the kingdom of God that Jesus said they reflected hell, not heaven. And then he uses a little example there of how in the temple, they had divided the temple up into certain parts that were sacred and not sacred. And you can make an oath based upon one portion of the temple and that was going to stand and had to be honoured, but another part of the temple, you, you can make an oath and it didn't count. You can see how ridiculous this had become. They were dividing religion into what it was that worked for them, what suited them, what allowed them to have power over others. And this in itself is a description of religion gone bad and the complete opposite to what it is that the kingdom of God is about. And so today we're going to just finish looking at this, uh, the bread, the, um, the final product, if you like, of what it is that Jesus was describing when he talks about the kingdom of God permeating and bringing life to what it is that we call the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So perhaps over this week, as a symbol within your own household, uh, sit around with your families and and bake a loaf of bread and be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is like this. This yeast that permeates, causes lift, causes lightness, causes taste, causes something that we want to consume because it's, it's very, very tasty, isn't it? Well, God bless you. And uh, let me pray for you now 
as we finish up today. Father, as we've read scripture this morning, we see stories of people that reflect very much our own journey, uh, where we have been forgiven, and yet we are also called to forgive. And we've seen pictures of yeast, that tiny little product that goes within a, a meal, and it causes uh, such a big impact. The ongoing nature of the kingdom of God is like that. The genuine grace, the genuine forgiveness, that taking what we have received through the Lord Jesus' sacrifice and then applying that in our lives so that others can experience, can taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, God, we thank you for this. And we thank you that in this week ahead, we can, in spite of all this craziness around us, we can continue to reflect and represent the kingdom of God. And in a positive way, we can be that yeast that brings life to the situations we find ourselves in. May God bless everybody today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.